following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sisters, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sisters, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, brothers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Come on, brothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me the way. Oh, fathers, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, fathers, let's go down, down in the river to I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, mothers, let's go down, come on down, don't you want to go down? Come on, mothers, let's go down, down in the river to pray. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down in the river to I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I was standing at Times Square Church. David Wilkerson, the senior pastor, had just invited me to come from where I was seated on the platform with him to stand with him before the congregation. Staff members were called together to lay hands on me and to pray over my wife and over myself for the founding of the National Prayer Chapel. David Wilkerson, Brother David as we referred to him, he was my father in the faith. And he was calling for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. It was a very moving experience. I was very aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit but that's not really the issue I want to describe for you. Times Square Church was packed with people. It was not an evening for preaching. It was a prayer meeting. And the people midweek were packing the auditorium at the Times Square Church, the old Hallinger, Mark Hallinger Theater. And as Brother David invited the people to lift up their hands and begin to pray for us and for the prayer chapel, I could hear and sense 
the waves of the Holy Spirit moving over that whole great congregation. Some people were weeping. Others were rejoicing. The power of God was present. That was the beginning of the National Prayer Chapel. One of the first questions Brother David asked me, is this prayer chapel that God is calling you to open, is this going to be a parachurch ministry or is this an actual church in Washington, D.C. area? I said, oh, Brother David, I don't want a parachurch. I want a place where the Holy Spirit resides, a place of prayer, of supplication, of fasting. He said, in that case, I'll stand with you. I can't come, but I will financially support the opening of the National Prayer Chapel. Over the years, he did so with more than $150,000. He was faithful to his promise to pray for us, and often I sat with him in his office or walked in Times Square talking about Jesus, praying together. Now, his vision was a a church like the Times Square Church. But the Lord had told me that National Prayer Chapel would be born in a day, quickly, as revival would come to the church and to the city. But I know we were birthed out of a prayer meeting. We were birthed out of the moving of the Holy Spirit on this godly man and on that congregation. This was after I had spent seven years having no public ministry, but simply waiting before God day after day in prayer and scripture and discipline. No salary for seven years. Simply praying and the Lord providing. Now I share this with you because what do you do when God's people don't want to pray? Why would they not want to pray? It's in prayer, in the promises of God, that we begin to participate in the divine nature. If there's no prayer, there's no promise. And if there's no promise, there's no divine nature being transmitted. Prayer, promise, divine nature. They go all together. If one is missing, they're all missing. So what do we do about not wanting to pray? I want to share with you some thoughts from Charles Finney on how we begin to gain an insight and a desire to pray. I've talked to so many of you and so many others, and you have shared with me that No, you don't spend very much time praying. In fact, many of you don't spend very much time in the Scripture at all. See, it's the reading of Scripture that convicts us and moves us to prayer. Or it's a great need in our life that we know we're going to die if we don't reach out and get something from God. Well, Charles Finney was born in 1792 in the fall of 1821 he came to conversion and was baptized in the Holy Spirit and almost immediately revivals began now there were other revivals taking place in New England at this time Finney was not the first to experience revival 
The Lord was preparing the way for America to be born. And for America to be born and be a godly nation, there had to be revivals. For what we have today, we needed a John Wesley. We needed a Jonathan Edwards. We needed a George Whitfield. We needed a Charles Finney. We need all of those men again today. But the only way those men, men like them in the spirit, are going to come forth is through the prayer closet. They must participate in the divine nature by the promises of God. Charles Finney begins to talk about how do we come into that state of mind that convicts us and draws us into the prayer closet. He wrote a book, Revival Revival Lectures. He didn't actually write it. He, He gave these lectures and they were then edited and a book was produced. I'm going to share with you on Lecture 5, Part 5. I urge you, order a copy of Revival Lectures and read them and pray over them. I think as you do, your heart will be revived. And you'll begin to see things you've never before seen. The coldness of heart will be broken. Conviction will come. But this is what he has to say. How are we to come into the state of mind, that is to say, the state of mind in which we can offer the prayer of faith? People often ask, how shall I offer a prayer? Shall I say, now I will pray in faith for such and such a blessing? No, the human mind is not moved in this way. You might just as well say, now I'll call up a spirit from the bottomless pit. Of course you're not going to do that, and you can't. This is so important what Charles Finney's talking about. You can't be shamed into praying. You can't hear your preacher say, you should be praying. Or it doesn't work to say, you need to come to the prayer meeting because that represents the life of the church. Well, if you don't have any life, you're not going to go to the prayer meeting. That's one of the great sadnesses of my heart. Churches have by and large given up midweek prayer meetings. People aren't interested. They don't pray. And especially they don't pray corporately because they'd rather be entertained. And prayer, by the way, is not entertainment. Prayer is probably the hardest work I do. Now, I mean that. Prayer, real prayer, is heart-wrenching. It's not casual. It's not, lay I, now I lay me down to sleep. It's not, row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. That's not praying. Well, Finney says, before you can pray, you're going to have to obtain evidence that God will bestow on you a blessing. How did Daniel make out to offer the prayer of faith? Well, he searched the scriptures. Now, you need not to let your Bible lie on a shelf and expect God to reveal his promises to you. Search the scriptures and see what you can get, either a general or a specific promise or prophecy on which you can plant your feet. Well, come on. Finney's right. But if your feet are planted on your job... If your feet are planted on the Steelers 
or the Redskins. You're not going to pray, except formally. You're going to pray a rote prayer. There has to come a change. And people say to me, Pastor, should I pray or should I read the scriptures? Well, I have a standard answer. Read the scriptures. Because the scriptures will drive you to pray. It's very easy to get lost in our words and treat prayer like some kind of therapy, some kind of catharsis. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is opening our heart to God, even as to a friend, in the agony of our situation. But if there's no agony of your situation, you won't pray. So go through your Bible, Finney says, and you will find it full of precious promises which you may plead in faith. He says, a curious case occurred in one of the towns in the western part of New York State. There was a revival there. A certain clergyman came to visit the place and heard a great deal about the prayer of faith. He was staggered at what they said, for he had never regarded the subject in the light in which they did, so he inquired about it of the minister that was laboring there. The minister requested him, in a kind spirit, to go home and take his New Testament and look at the passages that refer to prayer, and then to go around to his most praying people and ask them how they understood those passages. He did so, going to his praying men and women regarding the passages without note or comment, asking them what they thought. He found that their plain common sense had led them to understand these passages and to believe that they meant just what they said. This affected him. Then the fact of his presenting the promises before their minds awakened the spirit of prayer in them, and a revival followed. I could name many individuals who have set themselves to examine the Bible on this subject, who, before they got half through it, have been filled with the spirit of prayer. They found that God meant by his promises just what a plain, common-sense man would understand them to mean. Try it. You have a Bible. Look them over. And whenever you find a promise that you can use, fasten it in your mind before you go on. You'll not get through the book without finding out that God's promises mean just what they say. But Christians very often lose their good desires by not attending to this. And then their prayers are mere words without any desire or earnestness at all. The least longing of desire must be cherished. If your body were likely to freeze and you had even the last spark of fire, how you would cherish it. So if you have the least desire for a blessing from God, let it be ever so small, do not trifle it away. Do not lose good desires by levity, by worldly-mindedness. Watch and pray. I want to stop here for a moment. I have often been grieved after preaching a piercing sermon on a Sunday that after the service there is laughter and levity. There is not a serious follow-through in prayer. Now, this is not always true. There are times when a group of men or women or 
families will gather and they'll begin to pray. But that's not yet the norm at the National Prayer Chapel. Now, I don't cover things. It's truth in advertising. That has to change at the prayer chapel. There has to come into the prayer chapel a whole new level of seriousness about prayer. Now, that's not to say in any way criticizing the National Prayer Chapel. If I compare the National Prayer Chapel with many other churches, I would have to give them a straight A. But I don't compare the National Prayer Chapel with another church where wild entertainment goes on, where the pastor jokes and laughs, where everything is social. That's not my expectation of the prayer chapel. It's not why I'm giving my life to them. I need them to take very seriously the word of God that is presented to them on the radio and at the prayer chapel. And I need them to become very serious about prayer. This is consuming much of my time in the prayer closet. A change at the prayer chapel. Now, if you sense that what I'm saying is also about you, then you probably need to come to the prayer prayer chapel and participate in that dramatic change that God is about to do with us. Now, I'm not saying it's pretty. I'm not saying it's easy. But I am saying I will not be content or satisfied with shallowness, with casualness, with levity. Do I smile? Of course I do. You see me smile on this broadcast if you watch the video. Do I laugh? Yes. I laugh with great joy. But there are times to be very serious, and there's no place for levity. Because if you're not rejoicing in Jesus Christ, you're grieving the Spirit. And if you grieve the Spirit, you will not be serious about prayer. When was the last time you prayed all night? When was the last time you lay on your face before God and wept over your shallow heart? over your jealous heart, over your wicked heart? When was the last time you lay and wept over your family's spiritual condition? Now, those are not normal activities for Americans. We're the go-go people. We have lots of things to do. So please, I'm not reprimanding you because I know a reprimand from me is not going to change your behavior. What I am saying to you is, the Holy Spirit, because you listen to this broadcast, is shooting arrows of the Holy Spirit into your heart. And he's calling you deeper. And as the Holy Spirit calls you deeper, don't shun those feelings. Don't shun that spiritual call, but listen carefully to it and allow the Spirit to enlarge himself in your heart that you will want to pray. Now, I heard one man at Times Square Church, he was preaching. I don't even remember who it was that was preaching now, but I was struck by what he said. He said, usually the only time people pray is when they have to pray. Well, that's not going to get the job done for the church. We're going to have to pray because we have allowed the Holy Spirit to come in and bring a deep hunger in our hearts for Jesus and for his people to love the church. A lone ranger is not going to have a passion to pray. What really moves us deeply is when we're part of the body of Christ and we begin to see the brokenness in the body. 
when we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us of our selfishness and our self-centeredness, and we begin to see that others are in desperate crying need. Then something in the Spirit begins to rise up in our hearts that says, I need to pray. I'm very concerned as I share this with you today because I know that many of you listening to this broadcast do not pray. Not really. Jesus said, real prayer doesn't start until after the first hour. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? He said to Peter, could you not even watch and pray for one hour? Usually it takes the first hour just to clear the junk out of our minds and our hearts so we can get quiet enough and small enough to begin to hear the Spirit of God as he speaks to us. I know in my life I have to go and get very quiet before God, reading the Word, being prompted to pray, beginning to stand on the Word and stand on the promises, beginning to feel the pain of the situation, beginning to see the emptiness. I have to nurture these feelings. Now, I don't walk by feelings, but feelings are what move us. We are usually not moved by concepts. We'll hear a great concept and we'll say, that's great, I like that, and then we move on. Concepts usually don't change our behavior. What, frankly, changes our behavior is pain. Psychologists tell us that a person will change their behavior when they get so bored with what they're doing, they finally say, look, I can't live the rest of my life doing this. I have to change my life. Or the most common reason they give for a behavior change is that the behavior and the circumstances are so painful, they finally say, look, I'm out of here. I'm done with this. Well, prayer usually only takes place when we're done with something. Or when we're so bored out of our gourd, we say, there has to be something new. I can't breathe this same old, same old stinky air one more moment. I've got to get into some fresh air. It's out of need that we pray. And the need excites the emotions. You cannot pray adequately and shut down your emotions. I've observed through the years that God usually does not hear my prayer unless it's attuned with tears. Now, I don't like that. I'd like to just be able to go to God and say, one, two, three, four, five, would you take care of that, please? Thank you very much. I'm on with my next responsibility. God is not a Santa Claus, and he is not a computer. He's not a rabbit's foot. God is a person. And you have to deal with God as a person. You're going to have to waste time with him. Do you understand what I mean, waste time? <clears throat> it's going to look like you're getting nothing done. It's going to look like you're accomplishing nothing. But all oh, the time spent with Jesus pays rich, rich dividends. So today, if you're tired of the same old, same old, you recognize that your heart is cold, you'll probably, if you're honest with me, also recognize that your heart is lonely. Every human heart is lonely until that heart comes to Jesus Christ. Now, you may not realize it. You may fill your life with every kind of entertainment and every kind of work, hours and hours and hours of work. But when you get quiet, the pain of loneliness will be there. 
I just read a news report this week on the epidemic of loneliness in America. When every form of social media is there and everybody's on Facebook and everybody's reaching out, texting other people, and everybody's, everybody's lonely, isolated. Facebook has done more to isolate people than any other single thing in American history. Social media is a curse to us for loneliness. A heart is lonely until it comes to Jesus. He is the lover of our souls. The only way that loneliness is dealt with is in the prayer closet. I will sometimes wake up in the morning refreshed, happy, excited that it's a new day, rejoicing in Jesus. But there are other days when I wake up in the morning and there's a a lead weight in my gut. And I've learned that that means come and pray. Now, I pray rejoicing before Jesus. But when that fear, that lead is sitting in my gut, I know there's only one place I can go to be relieved of that. And that's the prayer closet and stay there until it is finished. Sometimes it's finished in a matter of moments. Other times it will take hours. Reading the scriptures, reviewing all of the promises that God has given me, going over the dreams or the visions that God has given me about what he's doing, standing in confidence that what God has said is true, standing by faith, the prayer of faith. This promise is mine. I claim it in the name of Jesus Christ. And crying out to him and telling him exactly what I'm afraid of, telling him exactly where I'm at, confessing my fear, repenting of it, until finally there's peace, shalom, in my soul. Now, this may be unique to me. You may never have experienced this. If you have not experienced what I'm describing, it's because you have filled your heart with the foolishness of the world. As my dear brother David Wilkerson used to say, you have fed on the apples of Sodom and the straw of Gomorrah. And so you have no need for anything from Jesus. Well, I don't want to feed on that foolishness. I want to feed on the broken body of Jesus and the spilled blood of Jesus. Do you hear me? There is such shallowness in our hearts today. Such a lack of concern for the lost and the dying. I just read a report this morning. China is coming down like a sledgehammer on our brothers and sisters in these house churches. They're arresting them. They're putting them by the thousands into gulag jails. They're beating them. They're raping them. They're killing them. Worldwide, it's reported more than 90,000 Christians were murdered last year. Breaks my heart. But those facts are not enough to cause us to go and pray. Remember, we are not moved by concepts or information. Our heart is prepared to pray as we come to the Scriptures. And the Spirit of God then is allowed to begin to freely move in our hearts. And we begin to cultivate the feelings that he causes to arise. And we don't abort them. If you abort your feelings, 
you will be cold-hearted and you will not pray. Let me go back to Finney. He says, entire consecration to God is indispensable to the prayer of faith. You must live a holy life and consecrate all to God. Your time, your talents, your influence, all you have and all you are are to be His entirely. Read the lives of pious men and you will be struck with the fact that they used to set apart times to renew their covenant and dedicate themselves anew to God. And whenever they have done so, a blessing has always followed immediately. I just want to tell you, I've been in the prayer closet over that and I've made a decision. I'm going to, I'm going to call the National Prayer Chapel to a Sunday of rededication. And we're going to deal very frankly with our condition. A friend of mine spoke to me about this. They said to me, Pastor, your preaching on the radio is sharper than your preaching at the National Prayer Chapel. Why? Well, I don't like my answer. My answer was, I have grown tired of constantly preaching and not seeing the pious excitement of searching after Jesus. Oh, there is at a level that is far greater than any other church I've ever been a part of, but it's not nearly what it needs to be for God to come and step into the church. So this coming Sunday, I'm going to address this issue at the National Prayer Chapel. If you are a part of the National Prayer Chapel, you're forewarned. And if you're not a part of the National Prayer Chapel, you may want to be there Sunday because it's going to be a day. But I'm going to Sunday call for a day of rededication for the National Prayer Chapel. I cannot abide low living in the church in you the radio audience no let me rephrase that you the radio congregation you're not an audience you're a congregation you're part of the family of God and I'm calling you out I cannot abide low living in my life I am so hungry for Jesus I am so hungry for God I'm so hungry for the Holy Spirit to come. I actually become sick at heart and in body because I so much need the body of Christ. I am hungry for Jesus. I don't know very well my brother and sister, I don't know very well how to talk about this. I'm sorry. I wish I could talk better about it, but I can't. I can simply say I'm I'm not going to be a prayerless man. I'm going to be a man of prayer. Everything I am today, this radio broadcast, the National Prayer Chapel, everything I have, all of the talents and gifts I have, every ability I have, do you know where they've come from? The prayer closet? By the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus? That's where it's all come from. It's not me. I am by nature a retiring, shy introvert. I'm not that anymore, am I? The Lord told me I'm going to make you into a threshing sledge with new and sharp teeth. And I said, Lord, please don't do that to me. I don't want to be a threshing sledge. I want to be a marshmallow. I want people to love me. 
And he said again, I'm going to make you into a threshing sledge. Well, I pray I'm a threshing sledge now with great love and compassion for you, my listeners, and the congregation, and those I speak to and address and confront. I confront people everywhere I go with Jesus. I ask them, are you walking in any known sin against Jesus? People will often begin to cry. 99.9% of people answer me, yes, there are areas where I'm still struggling with Jesus. And of course, you know my answer. How long are you going to walk in that sin before you give it to Jesus? Well, I don't know. I'm working on it. Well, stop working on it and confess it. Ask the blood of Jesus to come and wash it and cleanse it and get the victory. Brother, sister, this is about victory, not defeat. There's no need to walk in sin. There's no need to walk in this discouragement. There's no need to be depressed. It's time to get right with Jesus. So you can decide if I'm a marshmallow or a threshing sledge. I just know I can't live at a low level. I have to live as a man of prayer and commitment to Jesus. My life is so tied up with Jesus. I would die if I lost him. He's everything to me. He speaks to me. His word comes alive. As I begin to read the word, it stands up and dances like a movie before my eyes. Am I talking like a crazy man today? Well, I guess I am kind of a crazy man. I tasted Jesus and I saw that he was good. I tasted Jesus and it satisfied the cry of my heart. I tasted Jesus and I lost the loneliness that I lived with for so many years. The hopelessness, the loneliness, the the striving to be somebody, the striving to get something done. I lost all that because I was utterly spoiled by the taste of Jesus Christ. Never forget I was... I was called to be the pastor of a of a large church in Rockville, Maryland. And I went that first preaching service, was introduced and confirmed as the new pastor. I preached my very best theological treatise. I read it aloud. And then I went to the doors, was the custom, as people passed by to meet me. and to congratulate me on a wonderful, wonderful sermon and say how happy they were to have me in the house. One old man came through that line, bald-headed, spectacles. He owned a, a large nursing home up in Olney. He came through the line and he, he took my hand with both of his hands and with tears in his eyes he said to me pastor would you tell us about Jesus and how could I respond I lied to him and I said oh yes I'll do that. But later, in the privacy of my prayer closet, I was confronted by the Holy Spirit who said, You don't know Jesus. How are you going to talk about him? And I was reminded of a professor. I was not in his class. He taught New Testament theology, and I took New Testament theology from another professor. But I was walking by his class door one day and something stopped me and I began to listen to what he was saying. I'd never heard a man talk about Jesus like he did. And I stood in the hallway with tears 
flowing down my cheeks because I knew that this man knew Jesus and I didn't have any clue how to find Jesus. I was learning all of the theology and I was studying Greek. Oh, I did not know Jesus. I knew theology and I knew religion. I was learning professional skills and learning how to preach. I remembered that as this old man said to me, will you, will you tell us about Jesus? It was not until many years later when the Lord separated me out and for seven years took away all public ministry and had me spend day after day on my face in prayer, searching the scriptures, devastated. I began to learn about Jesus. You will not know Jesus the way I'm speaking about him if you refuse to read the scriptures and you refuse to pray and you refuse to submit to the discipline and suffering that the Holy Spirit wants to take you into. A man only learns about Jesus in the desert, in barrenness. Now, we're bare and we're in the desert, but many of you don't know you're in the desert. You think you're in the promised land because you're making money and you're buying a new car and everything is cranking for you and you're a happy person, right? But you're desperately lonely. But you won't let yourself know it because it would hurt too much. (laughs) You know, I come to this radio for really only one purpose. I come to talk about Jesus. This song that we're playing this week, going down to the river to pray. Oh, that's the cry of my heart for you, that you would come down to the river and get washed and get clean and meet Jesus. That's what it's all about. If you don't want to pray, It's because you've not nurtured the feelings that the Holy Spirit will give you, calling you to repent. You're too busy. You're working too hard. You're too filled with love of the world and the flesh and the devil. And yet you think you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. Remember what Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You've done all of these wonderful things for me cast out devils, taught seminars and workshops, led great churches, preached wonderful sermons. But you don't know Jesus. Many years ago, I read a book, had a profound influence on me. It was not a a theological treatise. It was a book of stories. The book title was, And Then came Jesus and then came Jesus until you have a moment in your life where you finally come to an end of yourself and you begin to desperately search the scriptures for answers and you're drawn into prayer and you begin to cry out before God until then comes Jesus Oh, I'm here to tell you, Jesus will come. Jesus will not leave you desolate. He'll feed you with manna. He'll bring water from the rock. He'll put his cloud of protection over you by day and fire by night. And he will lead you out of the wilderness. What does it mean to be out of the wilderness? It means to be in Jesus. In the promised land? Jesus. To be brought into Jesus. 
but that only happens out of the prayer closet. There are times when he will wake me up three or four times in the night and he'll say, come pray. There are times when I'll sleep the night through because he knows I desperately need the rest and I need to be ready to come on the radio. I trust Jesus. I'm telling you very plainly today, if you would pray in faith, if you would pray in a way that will cause Jesus to come, you're going to have to make an intellectual decision that you will walk every day with him. And then you're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to come, and you're going to have to let him bring up the issues he wants to bring up. You're going to have to allow him to direct your prayers. You're going to have to allow him authority in your life. Do you understand this is all all very personal? This is personal. Jesus loves you as a person. And he wants you. And he's calling you. And the doorway to him is the scripture and the prayer closet and being totally dedicated to preserving everything the Holy Spirit will give you to do your duty before him in every way, in the smallest of things. That's what he calls for. Well, we're out of time today. I want to invite you to come this Sunday to the prayer chapel if you have the if you have the courage. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. It's 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. 22192. Let me give you the address again. It's the All Saints Anglican Church at 14851. Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. It's right next to the Hilton Memorial Events Center. Drive around to the back side and you'll see a large white sign that says Lower Lobby. Come in through the ground level double glass doors and the worship center for the National Prayer Chapel is immediately on your left. We begin with prayer, corporate prayer at 12 noon. I invite you to come. I'd also very much appreciate hearing from you. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I love you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Sun.